seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 174 of Color of Magic, your magic and gaming podcast where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Daquan Watson, and for 174 episodes, I still have my main man, Brian Allen, riding shotgun. How's it going, dude? It It is going. Uh, we are... <laughs> We had uh, we had winter in Texas. Hopefully, it's over. <laughs> it was last week. So hopefully, no more. Man, no more it's, ice it's February. Y'all should be getting done with winter for real in Texas. Like I, this, it's this usually only about a week, so I think we're done. Hopefully. That's good. At least it wasn't as bad as the last couple of years. Jeez. Well, I guess unless you were in the Austin area, Austin apparently I, had some pretty bad stuff. That is true. I know multiple overall, people that overall <laughs> the state didn't didn't take as bad a hit. Thankfully. For real. Oh, also, I have an update to last week's show. We talked about this in the podcast, which, by the way, if you are a member on our Patreon, you get access to the to the Discord. You should come over and, and check that out. But I had to let everybody know I had to change my pick on who we were eliminating from the six. Because right after we were done with the show, I had the thought of, man, Lawrence Fishburne is in blackish. I forgot that, too, while we were talking. And I literally had that thought of like, ah, man, Blackish is one of the best things on television probably in the last decade. So yeah. I can't, I can't, like, Morgan Freeman had to go. <laughs> like, I mean, know. with with the Cosby show pretty much uh, going into, going to Bye yeah. Bye Land, it's probably the best uh, black sitcoms you actually will be able to see on television still in the future. Please, Anthony Anderson, don't. Do anything, dude. I had that thought too. I'm like, crazy, man, because he crazy. used to be kind of quirky, a little bit crazy. And I'm like, don't, don't, just don't let anything turn up on this guy because he seems to be working really hard on a great show. And honestly, that's a show that can be syndicated for a long time. His he's got his made his mama famous now because apparently she wanted to be an actress and he kind of followed her dream. And now, yeah, he's putting her on game shows and in commercials and stuff. He's like, man, yeah. just don't don't be bad, right? And I hate that, like that we have to have that thought, well, that, but it that, feels that way these days. Now. Yeah, because just... dude, I'll admit, there's some celebrities I've had the the pleasure of meeting, and I really had the thought of just like, man, I hope this person ain't a jerk in person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like person... things, back in the day, we you know pre social media, we'd have never known so many of these things. Oh yeah. Like, that just the change just in the past 50, 60 years. I mean, people, I was reading an article today talking about, you know, baseball hall of fame and it, people knew, you know, the Mickey Mantle was an alcoholic and a womanizer. They just had, you know, gentlemen's agreement with the journals. They didn't talk about it. The most of the Washington press corps knew that FDR was in a wheelchair. They just agreed not to talk. What a wild time. I'm not saying it was right. It, it was actually I'm actually saying that stuff was wrong, but just with the change we have seen. In, yeah, like they just weren't yeah. gonna let it be a story, so they covered it up. Yeah. Can't really do that today. We got cameras, paparazzi, cell phones just everywhere. But yeah, that leads we have some other stuff. We'll we'll come back to some things here. We'll talk about a bit of this later, but first things first, we gotta tell people to go check out cardsphere.com. Because they're just awesome people. And they've been supporting the show for a couple of years now, actually. So pay them some love. They've earned it. And it's a great place to pick up magic cards at the price you want. 
And I mean that dead serious. Like, you can literally go name your price and pay only that to get a card. Like, it sounds crazy, but it's totally true. Go check them out over at cardsphere.com. And if you want to support the show like we were talking about, you can go over to patreon.com slash color of magic, and you can get a shout out just like Don Nattlestead. So thank you so much for supporting the show. And honestly, you can come hang out in the Discord, and we have some fun conversations in there. And then finally, if you want to support the show directly, get some merchandise for yourself, and rep us when you're out and about, go over to colorofmtg.com slash shop. And now, it's time for some soapbox action. And today, this isn't so much an, an angry soapbox, as much as it is more of a PSA. That it's a public service announcement, by the way. I feel like some people probably hear PSA and don't even know what it is. But I've I've been seeing a lot of times where somebody will will be into a new subject or category or need a suggestion for a thing, and people just outright just say, like, oh, you need to go do this or go watch this or go play this or whatever. And and I'll use board games as an example. Because I've seen so many people over the hell. I don't know, two decades now, get recommended a game and then hate it. And they just don't understand why people like it or they're upset that they went and spent 50, 60, hell, $100 on some of these games. And I think too many people have this idea of, I like a thing, so I'm going to recommend it so they can see the reasons I like this thing. Without taking the time to understand that that person might just have totally different preferences. Like, for me, the example, and we talk about this off the air, is like, Settlers of Catan, right? Like, I don't care if I ever play a game of Settlers of Catan again in my life. But I also accept that if somebody has only ever played Monopoly, Sorry, whatever, that is a very good first step game into what we call the hobby board games, right? So I'm going to recommend that every single time to that person. But if somebody came for me from the other side and said, well, I've already played these 10 or 12 games with my friends. Should I pick up Settler to Tan because I hear lots of good things about it, whatever? I would say probably not because it's going to be pretty basic and probably be a bit boring for them compared to other games they've already played and enjoy. Like even in our store, we would ask three or four questions before we recommended a game when people were just looking for something. Or we'd have some demo games out and we'd ask them like, well, what do you think about this? And see if they like a certain style or a certain concept kind of appeals to them, whatever. And then we could recommend four or five games. And I feel that happens even with video games and stuff. Like, it's like, okay, cool. Recommend a game is awesome. But if I don't like first-person perspective games, I'm going to hate this. You know, and I don't think people understand that. Or card games, right? There's some that are going to appeal to people and others aren't. And it doesn't matter that I find it great. It's like I need a starting point for where their experience is, their history is, whatever. And then I could make that suggestion because how movies are the worst about that. Like there's several that are great movies or I had a good time with that. I'm not necessarily going to recommend to somebody else. I mean, nostalgia be damned. Some of those things mm-hmm. I like are not great. <laughs> like I enjoyed them, but I'm smart enough to know, like this ain't a great movie. Like, you know, when people go back and like, Oh, you need to go watch Conan. Like, ah, slow down. Like, do they need to? <laughs> like, I well, enjoy uh, it's very, you know, very, very 80s ish, but it's, you yeah. know, Arnold, Arnolding as hard as he can. So that's what I'm saying. Him, you know. Like, 
So I'm like, what other movies do you like? Or what type of thing are you looking for? And then I can make a recommendation based on something. Because there's some of those, they might just come back and go, bruh, you really enjoyed that movie? Like, yeah, I was like 12, though. <laughs> and there, there's come some... Do hear the lamentations of the women. Come on, that's pretty yeah, gurgled exactly. right there. There's some that do just stand the test of time, like, that are just classics. And, you know, we're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark or something yeah. or whatever. But, like... A lot of them are things that we enjoy, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to enjoy that. Or even if I dislike a thing, like I said, like Settlers, that doesn't mean I'm not going to recommend Settlers to somebody because I understand who would like it and who it's targeting, right? And some people do play a lot of games. They still enjoy Settlers. Doesn't mean they're going to hate it, but the percentage is higher for a newer person than it is for an experienced person. And I just know that from years of selling Settlers. But I, I think we should apply that to more stuff. Like, try to find out about the person's wants, needs, experience, history, whatever, and then start making recommendations. Other than just making the assumption of, because I like it, they need to like it. Because I have the whole thing of, like, for horror movies. I'm not a big horror movie person. But there's some that I haven't watched, and I'm like, you know what? I could see why people would like this, though. So when stuff comes up, I'm like, hey, have you seen this one? And they're like, oh, no, thanks for the recommendation. And I've even had people say, like, dude, I didn't know you were into horror movies. I'm like, no, I'm really not. But, like, that's one that I easily can accept as a good movie, and I get why people would like it. Right? So even though it's not my jam, it's somebody else's jam. And that's okay, too. But, yeah, just get more info from the person you're making the recommendation for before just tossing something out there. But, all right, that's all I got, Brian. It's all you up from here. All right. As I can't imagine you haven't heard, uh, the game that, that shall not be named is out. And good, I was trying to just think back over the the, the decades I've been doing this, or, or a, a game you know that launched to this much, uh, this much controversy, this much just almost kind of like where even just the way sites cover it is going to be a huge story just uh, i guess for anybody that, that may not know it's hogwarts legacy because that, that's kind of the part part of the wild thing is that every time i go into a forum or read something i still daily hear somebody say like i hadn't heard what, what's the controversy about which is just mind-blowing but as we've talked about we think you know in our little echo chambers and what the things we are talking about or what everybody is talking about and no that tends to not be the case this is a prime example this is every day i encounter somebody who has no idea why there's a controversy and that really is part of why i and other gaming journalists do the things we do because it's it, it's part of the story. It ha- you it has to be covered because there are still people out there. I don't understand how either. Why well, I do understand how. You know, they're out there living their lives, going to work, not being on gaming forums 15 hours a day. So yeah, there's people that hadn't heard. So it's part of our job to let them know what's going on, why there's a controversy, and yes, to some kind of way review a game in the middle of all this because there are People, just whether we like it or not, whether we agree with J.K. Rowling's politics or not, millions of people are going to play this game. Some will do it through ignorance of what's going on around them. Some will do it in spite of the knowledge of what's going on around them. But still, it's a thing that if you have a gaming website, you pretty much have to cover it. You Now, what you do from there, I, I see a lot of people are doing their 
doing the the review and then also doing an article saying or the professor or prefacing the review by saying we are aware of the controversy and if for some reason you are not aware this is how we're handling like Daquan and I talked you know we hadn't mentioned it for a long time and it just got to the point where people were like hey do you even know about this because they, they were pretty sure we knew but just did like hey are, are y'all going to talk about this and that's happening to everybody that's in the gaming space that has a podcast a YouTube channel works for a website the world is watching and waiting to hear what you're going to say so yeah you Saying nothing one way or another is not an option that you have. I mean, many people are, I saw a critic at IGN say he ended up with the review. He didn't even review this type of game, but he ended up with with the copy of Hogwarts Legacy because nobody else really wanted to touch it. But you know, somebody obviously has to review what has become, especially in this early part of 2023, the biggest story in the industry. It would, would be conspicuous by any kind of absence. I think that the, 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 the situation that just kind of reminds me the most of was Modern Warfare when they had the mission No Russian, where you basically play a Russian terrorist who goes into an airport and starts indiscriminately murdering people. And yeah, that was kind of where the coverage became almost as big a story as the game, or even they wouldn't the game. It was basically that one, that one mission that was extremely controversial. So yeah, that's uh, just a little bit of where we are and I guess we'll continue to be for the foreseeable future because the sales numbers are already off the charts and for for people that care the reviews it's surprising everybody the reviews actually for the most part have been decent which is the thing that if you'd asked me to lay a bet I would have said yeah it's going to be terrible because the majority of licensed games are terrible but that's so far not what's been happening I will say this I did my due diligence to at least watch some of the gameplay I don't know why it has high reviews, but I don't know. Maybe it's, I tried to honestly be objective about it. Like, don't be wrong. I'm not going to say it's trash, but. And and it's, it's really hard to be objective about a game when you already, you know, have heard yeah. so many, it's, it's virtually impossible to completely objective. So, so I'm not going to sit here and just like say it's complete trash. Like, but to get really high marks, I'm kind of like, it's not doing anything exceptional or great which is why I was kind of surprised. Like even transitions from somebody like moving to then like pulling out their wand to shoot a thing. It's almost just like, there's no transition even. It's just like you go from one frame to the next. Like, it's just like, if I had a word for it, I would say probably unpolished, Unfin- not quite unfinished, but I would say unpolished. Like, cause everything's there. Just nothing's exceptionally good, but some people felt it was the thing they had to go out of their way to play, and you know they, they made their decision. Yeah, it's it's getting so far reasonably decent. I mean, I've even heard Game of the Year talk. Nah, it's February. <laughs> We're gonna play a whole bunch more games between now and the end of the year. But yeah, it's oh, I I can't see a single way it holds up to be Game of the Year. Like I would be stunned if that happened. This is it. We don't even know. We, yeah. At this point, we we don't know what kind of year it is. Whether I mean, Zelda may come out, it may not. Now, you know what's happened in the middle of all this that I just thought about? A lot of that heat got taken off for told. Or for spoken? For spoken, yeah. Like, I mean, because you had a whole other thing come out that was way more controversial. So it's just like they, they got swept under the rug. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 <laughs> for spoken is like, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Like their heat just went away. Uh, it was, you know, 
It's like you're trying to climb up the rungs and try to get some real heat, and then some other upstart just came and got on the mic, and people went, yeah, we're going to yell at this person instead. And then also the reviews for Forspoken have largely not been good, and that matters in terms yeah, of the yeah. coverage. For sure. For it's sure. How, you know, it's when, you, when you have your editorial meeting, it's kind of like, hey, well, well, you know, like everybody that does content, if it's not getting the clicks, you move on to the next story because there's no reason to talk about it anymore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. But yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about some other fun things that we learned this week because there's a couple of things that I think people might be surprised by this week that we're going to talk about. Uh, I, I, I imagine you've heard by now about the uh, the guy that stole two monkeys from the uh, to Emperor you Emperor Tamarin Tamarin. I don't know the pronunciation of it. Yeah, like Tamarin. And, okay. and honestly, that's one of the worst plans ever because even small monkeys will rip your face off. Yeah, it's just it, it, it's bizarre how far this guy got with what looks like zero plan, including even where to store the monkeys after stealing them. But the, the story just gets, as I told Daquan, you know, off uh, before we started the show, I'm waiting for, you know, probably for the people that are doing the cocaine bear movie, the stolen monkey movie has got to be coming because it just, and it's got to be a comedy because this whole thing is, the guy apparently went to the zoo before he committed the crime, was walking around with a little notepad asking questions like, where do you get one of these monkeys? How do y'all shift them around? Where do they go at night? And taking notes about this. So somebody apparently followed him around the, the, the zoo until he left. But then, you know, a couple hours later, he jumped the fence, cut the cut the, the wires to their enclosement, stole monkeys. And it just it, again, every day, some new bizarre piece of information gets out. And apparently the police ask you, how did you how'd you go there from the zoo? And if he's telling the truth, he claims he stole two monkeys and used the dart rail to leave downtown Dallas. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't understand how. There's just so many issues with it. This dude apparently didn't even have transportation, yet was somehow able to steal two monkeys from the Dallas Zoo. Allegedly put them on a train, get to Lancaster, for those of you that don't know, is in the South Dallas area, and then hide the monkeys in, like I guess, a semi-abandoned building. So it's just... It's but frightening. here's the thing, though. Like, if you're going to take any animal, much less monkeys, you should have a plan for where you're going to keep them. And then on top of that, these aren't normal. You can't be like, oh, I just found this dog on the street or whatever, right? Like, I'm assuming this person's a loner because at some point, family's going to go like, bruh, where'd you get monkeys? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, why do you have monkeys? I, I, I can't envision any way in which he is normally processing information, yet he still somehow got away with this. And then apparently walked to a vacant home and hid the animals out there. There were also multiple cats and pigeons and some dead fish that apparently also he stole from the zoo. So. He probably stole them from a lot of places, I bet. Yeah. Just, it, it's frightening how much uh, a guy who really didn't seem to have anything that resembled a plan was able to get away with. 
Dallas Zoo apparently needs all manner of security upgrades because oh. every year it seems like some animal ends up escaping. This is, I think, already in 2023, the, the second case of a missing animal. The, the biggest problem with zoos, and this comes from history of having family and friends that work at, at zoos, is that there's just a massive amount of movement all the time, right? Like every department has its own group of uh, handlers or keepers. There's management of the zoo, right? Every day the zoo sees, who knows, tens of thousands of people, depending on the zoo, right? There's carts moving back and forth. There's people dropping off feed. There's there's volunteers for each department, and each department doesn't necessarily know the other department's volunteers that day because, you know, they weren't there for their yeah. orientation. It's all separate, right? So there, there's opportunity. If somebody, like in this case, cased out the whole thing for, for weeks or months or whatever, right? Like, it's possible. The thing that usually happens, what's going to happen to this dude, is that eventually you're like, okay, I stole this animal, but, like, what do I do with it? Right. Yeah, but the, the 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 tips I learned during my the thirty seconds of asking people who were trying to walk away from me questions, like I don't know how to feed, care, care, or maintain this animal. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, where do you get the proper food? Do you know their feed schedule? How do you keep them from being angry? Because the trainers and keepers have learned all these things. And if you don't do the things the animal likes or is used to, or you get them out of their routine, you might be without a face tomorrow. <laughs> like that's real. I mean, I can tell you there were times I went behind some because, you know, behind the scenes and I would see especially like the big cats and different things. Like if the animals don't know you, oh, you you don't even get up against their cage sometimes. So like people trying to take some of these animals, like you're taking them at your own risk. And monkeys are wild, dude. Oh, man. All right. So mine isn't as cool as as stolen monkeys. <laughs> but. I started on what I'm calling the Twitter blue checkmark experiment. And this is basically me getting the Twitter blue checkmark, tracking my results over a couple of months to see if it really does do the things it says it does. Like, are there fewer ads? Are you getting better reach on stuff? Whatever, right? To see at least if nothing else from an actual personality content creator perspective, is it worth the $8 a month? But I already have people immediately going, Oh, you and your blue check mark, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you paid. I'm like, one, it's $8, dog. Chill out. Like, two, I have an actual business reason for wanting to do this. Now, it might turn out it's not worth it or doesn't do anything, but like, I know multiple other creators that I've talked to that are basically waiting for me to put my findings up right. <laughs> before they start paying $8 a month. And for me, if I run it for three months, it's $24. It's $24 for me to run an experiment that might have a significant upside for the rest of my business. So it's worth doing. It's the cheapest experiment I've probably run. And I have a review channel. So worst case scenario, I'll make a review video out of it and put it up there. It's also worth noting, you know, that when many, many years ago, when Ted Turner started to figure out how to do TBS, multiple people told him, you're insane. No American will ever pay to watch television. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I will say this, like they are trying to add different things and do different stuff to it. The difference before is like when you had a blue check mark, it was super ridiculously difficult to get sometimes. Like if you'd ever read through the previous requirements, it was like you had to have so many, what was it like news things or news level sites or something report on you or do stories on you or whatever. Like it was really ridiculous. 
as a prime example, Alan Page, who first off was is a Hall of Fame football player for the Minnesota Vikings, already should earn you a check mark. Then got elected to the Minnesota State Supreme Court, and he had a problem getting a check mark. Yeah, isn't that wild? Like, if either you, one of those things should earn you a check mark. <laughs> my thing is, if you are a verified, especially professional athlete, especially if you're talking about NFL or NBA, because those are gigantic, or baseball, yeah. those are huge in the U.S. And a Hall of Famer. Yeah, <laughs> one of the exactly. best you, ever. You were good enough that people in the sport acknowledge you were good enough. Great. Right? And you should that should be a slam dunk, right? If you're that was just half of his career. That was the first yeah. half of his being goaded. But like, they got on the state Supreme Court. But there's people that, you know, are a million followers or subscribers on YouTube or whatever. Like, okay, you're a real person. People know who you are. Like, how are you not verified? Right? And the verification thing, it also just saves people time and effort, right? Because there's once you make it to a certain point, people are impersonating you all the time. Trying to get information from your followers, trying to trick people to give them money, whatever it is. So having you be verified just makes life easier on everybody. But in this case, I will tell you early on, it wasn't immediate. You know, I signed up for the thing and they charged my $8 or whatever. And they said it was going to take a few days. They at least did something to verify I was who I was or whatever, which is cool. So there is a verification process and it's fairly quick. I think like three or four days later, my stuff was updated. I had a little check mark and a few little bonus things. But like I said, I'm not going to harp on it too long, but It'll be something I'll talk about here in a couple months after it's run its course a little bit and see if it's worth it and I can make a recommendation. But, you know, I've been hard on Twitter anyway, so this isn't a like try to back up Elon Musk. It's just if you have a good thing, I'll tell you it's a good thing. So we say it on the show all the time, right? If you do something crappy, we're going to trash it. You do something good, we'll talk positively about it. That's just where we are. But let's get into the news topics of the week. Okay, first things first, I do want to say congratulations to Wizards, uh, more particularly to the Arena teams, because these last couple of Arena releases on release day have been a lot smoother than they have been in the past. I don't know if that has to do with letting the early access be on Thursday, and then the dev teams have like five days now before launch to get stuff in order, figure out whatever bugs that we found, or whatever it is. It's at least working. So I assume they're going to stick to this for the next few sets at a minimum. But I bring this up because one of the things that got added with the last set is their new um, messaging system. So if you log into Arena, in the upper right, you'll have a little envelope. And if the envelope's open with a number, it'll glow. And that means that's how many messages you have. You should probably check it out. Well, normally when a set goes live, you would get to put in a code that's play and usually the like three-digit code of the set. So... For, like, Kamigata, it was, like, play Neo or whatever, right? Sometimes it was a phrase, but either way, you could get three free packs of that set. Really cool, but the problem you always had is, like, in Arena Mobile, it was always a pain to put in codes, right? You had to know to go to a certain website, put in the code there, then it shows up in your account. And I know it's an issue because I made the video and I redid that video, and they all get views on YouTube, so there's a reasonable number of people looking for this. Because I know I'm not even the only one who's made that video, right? And even then they're short. They're like 40-second videos and people still watch them. But now that it's just built into the client, that means all those people now can just hit a button, have the stuff automatically. So it makes life for Arena mobile players much better. 
However, it does come with the downside that now if you start playing arena, let's say the end of this year, you won't be able to get free packs for the previous three sets because there's no code to put in. And the email expires, I believe, within like two weeks of showing up in your account. So now the only other option I see to really make it favorable to a new player would probably be to just say, hey, when you start a new arena account, you just get three free boosters of every set. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's very low cost. The reality is some people are going to play formats where they never need any of those cards anyway. But you at least give them the chance to open up the packs. They at least get a few wild cards out of it because they're cracking the packs. And I think that would be the good solution. However, at this time, we don't know how that's going to end up. I mean, for all we know, they might still make the code available at some point in the future and still have it as an email thing. So to check both boxes. I don't really know what the reason is. It hasn't ever been in the client to easily put in codes. I don't know if it's a space-saving thing or if it's something to do with the the app stores and maybe by putting in codes, you're bypassing certain things or certain agreements. I could see a lot of things that it could be, but I don't know definitively that it's any of those things. But it's interesting. You know, I, I don't know about you, Brian. I feel like as much as it is inconvenient for mobile players, I would still rather there be a bigger benefit to the new player. But I can also see that if you're trying to grow the mobile market and whatever, and you've seen your numbers, you do want quality of life things for those players as well. But it's I, tough. I, yeah, I just, you know, I, I personally, I, I want to say almost, I always play it on PC. So I tend to forget that there's that, that huge mobile base. That they, and I, I get it. I'm sure I'm probably at this point in the minority by primarily playing it on a, on either the laptop or the desktop. So, no, I'm with you. I'm I'm almost always on on a large screen. Even if you're not, you know, recording or making content, you're still usually always on. The- yeah, I'm on a large screen. I only time I use mobile is usually for deck building while I'm out and about. So, like, if I'm traveling or maybe I have a thought while I'm like waiting in the car while the woman's in the store or something, I'm just like, oh wait. Yeah, let me, I'll like start part of a deck list so it's there and then I'll just finish it up later when I'm on the computer or whatever, right? When I have an idea. But I've maybe played, man, I don't even know if I played 20 games on mobile the entire time it's been out. Yeah, I don't think I've played even one. I just, given the choice, let's say like Marvel Snap, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I usually I usually prefer to just to play it on, on a larger screen. It's just. My own little court. I can't even necessarily tell you why I prefer that. I just prefer that. I will say, I played Snap in the uh, Steam store. I downloaded it, got it, and played it on computer. It actually translates pretty well. Okay. It's actually not bad. So, like, it's convenient to have up when I'm just, like, already on my computer. And I'm just like, okay, cool. I'll just pop Snap on for a little bit. Knock now, out can, you, can, can you sign into the same account, or do you have to restart nope. everything? Yeah, same account. Okay. So, like, I just did the thing on mobile where I signed in with Google. And then when I signed on the same thing, I just put in my Google credentials or whatever, and it was all the same stuff. And and it updates pretty much in real time because I was testing it. Like if I test stuff on there and then I open it up on my phone, it was already corrected or updated on my phone. So pretty cool. It it actually works. But yeah, I I don't know what the solution for this is going to be, because I think one of the problems Arena is always going to have is new players getting caught up to speed. Because as it gets larger and more sets come out or whatever, 
the further down the line you start playing arena, you're that much further behind. Um, it, well, at least for playing older formats, right? For playing Explorer, Historic, or whatever. I or mean, does all, the you know does the even if they even if you gave them every card with a new player jump into the old formats? I wouldn't think so. How do you probably uh, know more of the numbers of that than I do? Again, I think it would depend on how or why they started, right? I think if you just picked it up out of the blue, probably not. It's easier to grasp standard and draft and go from there and figure it out. But I think if you have friends that already played, inevitably there's going to be somebody going like, oh, I really like playing Explorer because it's very similar to Pioneer. I really like playing Historic because it reminds me of whatever, right? So you're going to want to play what your friends play. And I think that's where the big issue comes in. Or if you follow a certain creator, you come across somebody's content on YouTube or something, and you're like, oh, this looks like fun. And then you're like, oh, to play that deck, I have to get all these other cards or whatever. And it's just like, ah, that that's gonna that's gonna be tough. I still hate both of those names for formats. <laughs> the pioneers they just Yeah. <laughs> sound like you're about to sound like you're about to learn history. And I enjoy history, but it doesn't that doesn't necessarily make me want to play your card game if I yeah, there's a time and a place. So yeah, so I don't I don't know where this ends up, truthfully. I I there are solutions, but I really like at least the basic solution of just saying, hey, let's just have a starter package. You start playing arena for the first time, you just get three free packs of everything. And we just call it good. Right? So then you don't even have to worry about codes. Like, and honestly, think about it. Like, even if you don't end up using those cards, that's a real feel good as a player. Right? You get on and you've got like 60 packs or whatever of just like random cards you get to open them up and read all these new magic cards and whatever and get all hyped right that's just a cool benefit and again they cost wizards almost nothing and the reality is the players still may not even use a lot of those cards but the idea that they could open them between opening those packs they get i don't know let's call it another like five or six uh wild cards they could maybe build something a little easier Great. You sit out of uh, what's that? Yeah, Hearthstone. If you sit out of Hearthstone long enough, they'll start sending you things where you may get 40, 50 packs of cards if you'll just log back into the cardboard crack or the or digital crack. Yeah, I've gotten one of those before where they're like, "Hey, you want to come back and get ten boosters?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I don't really want to come back, but thanks. That's a good offer. I appreciate it." But all right, we do have some other things to talk about. Well, this weekend, this past weekend, we did see that all the stuff for Phyrexia All Will Be One did pretty well. I saw reports from multiple retailers saying, hey, pre-releases are going well, products going well. But one of the cool things Wizards tried to do to encourage people to participate in pre-releases and reward people with some quirky different things was when you open your pre-release kits, they all come traditionally with a different color die in there. You know, the five different colors, usually in a couple different color combinations or whatever. But one in people weren't sure of estimates. I've heard anywhere as low as one in 20 to as high as one in 50. So I'm going to say maybe one in 30, one in 35. Came with a Phyrexian spin down, we'll call it. But it was white. They're kind of like pearlescent white bone sort of color they've used for all of the Phyrexia stuff. And then red uh, printing for, for the font was Phyrexian font. So you can't really read it or use it. You know, it's a D20, but it's all in Phyrexian. But it was cool. It's rare. It's you different. Know, there are people that, that, that read Phyrexian, like, you know, Star Trek fans learn Klingon. You know, Funny you say that. They're putting out a handbook with a special kit that you can order from Beetle and Grimm that actually has a whole thing on the Phyrexian language. 
I figured they would because again, other fandoms are going in. Like, step up your game, Magic players. Yep. And and I think I just saw earlier today at Magic Philly next weekend, they're doing a panel to further talk about stuff on the language and things related to uh, Phyrexia. It's so, always neat to hear, you know, the behind the scenes of how they write. It's neat to me, anyway, the son of an English teacher, to hear about how they go about essentially making up languages. Oh, yeah. So that, that'll be fun. If you're into that, those will be some things you'll definitely want to follow up on. But the thing about these rare dice, what's one, the rare dice I believe I saw selling for, was it $50? I saw one go for, which was crazy. But there's already, by the way, there's already a whole market for spin down counters, if you didn't know. Like older sets, people trying to get every color, every color combination for each set. Like it's a whole thing. Like you'll randomly come across die that are worth like 10 and $15 for no good reason. So check your dice whenever you buy collections and stuff. But in this case, people discovered, I didn't hear about anybody really getting screwed here or finding out about anything on a Friday. But by midday Saturday, I saw a lot of people talking about it where if you looked on the boxes, there was a different number code on the box compared to all the others in there if it was one that had one of these special die in it. And the code's not consistent. So you might have one batch where the bulk of them are 4378, and then one of them would be like a 4391, right? That's going to be the one that has it, or two, or whatever, you know, the randomness of it. But the one with the fewest copy numbers is going to be the one that has your your die in it. But the next person's store, it might be a 4390 and the weird one might be 4399, right? So there was no way to just like, this number is the one that has it. You just had to look for the one that was different. Which in and of itself isn't terrible when people don't know. The problem is gamers got a game, right? So we had a lot of retailers talking about, now I have people upset at me because they're coming in on on Saturday night events, Sunday events, wanting to look at the pre-release kits before they pick one or whatever. And they're just randomly handing them out and the players are mad or whatever. And it's like, People just can't. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> right? Like, even if I knew it was a thing, like, cool. I sat down at a pre-release just like everybody else. And if I get one, I do. If I don't, I don't. Right? Like, why should I get to sit through and flip through all their packs or whatever to find one? Whereas everybody else doesn't get to. Or because I just got there first or whatever. Like, it's just silly. It's a weird bit of entitlement. Like, just let it be a fun, variable, random thing and enjoy your event, right? So the downside, though, is obviously this is a misstep by production. As I say, it's a misstep. Like, it's, I don't know if there's a, a great way, because my guess is somebody probably just set up machines to recognize certain codes or not and drop however many in in the rotation to keep the percentages and all that, Right. But I and I guess somebody has to verify as well, at least on a couple of batches to make sure the machines are doing what they're supposed to. I don't know another way to do that unless maybe the codes were all inside the boxes and then you just had somebody verify them like some step before they went to sealing. But like, I don't I don't even know if that's efficient or realistically possible among an assembly line. <laughs> so it's definitely something they're going to have to figure out now if they ever want to do this type of promotion again, because sadly... Now that people know it's a thing, there will always be some number of people in the future that are just going to look now. You know what I mean? Like, once the cat's out of the bag, you can't put the genie back in the bottle or whatever they say, right? Like, the mistake is known, so now it's something everybody's going to look for, which sucks. But, 
I don't know. I think it's a cool promotion, though. It's a neat idea, something fun to do that's different, and people get surprised. But, yeah, it ended up being really kind of the one major blemish, I would say, on an otherwise pretty good pre-release weekend for people. So, we'll we'll see how the how the future sets work out. But let's talk about another piece of news that came out from, surprise, Bank of America again. So we saw another thing from Bank of America. It was either earlier today or yesterday, but basically saying that like they believe there's up to a, I believe the number was 29% downside on stocks for Hasbro slash Wizards of the Coast. And their whole, I guess the whole basis of the argument is, well, Hasbro's over-monetizing Wizards of the Coast brands. And... I don't think that's really what they were saying, because like as I read through it, and it wasn't that long, it sounded mostly like they're more concerned with just overprinting, pushing value of cards down, which can lead to retailers possibly selling less because individual products not worth as much, which again comes back to what we were talking about before, where people are like, see, people should listen to Bank of America. It's like, no, because if you listen to what they're saying, they want it to be more collectible, y'all. Not it less. De- it, it, it depends on what you if if you're looking to invest, then yeah, listen to Bank of America. If you're looking to enjoy the card game, you two have completely different goals, and maybe don't listen to what Bank of America says. Exactly, and this is what I tried to warn people about: like you're reading words, but you're not hearing what they say. Like they want it to be more valuable and more collectible, so things have more value, and stock goes up, and people can make more money per item. Like that's what they want. And I'm going to be fair here to Wizards of the Coast and say they have tried to find a middle ground, right? We've done the the neon foil things. In this set, we have like some super rare alternate art, galaxy foil, uh, Elish Norns or whatever, right? That people are excited about that go for, I've seen some sell for like $100, $150, somewhere in that range. So you still have these items that are still going to be collectible, valuable, whatever. But you print enough of them that if somebody wants one as an actual game piece, it's still available for, I don't know, you can get Elish Norn. I think regular ones are still going for like 25, 30 bucks. But it is at least still somewhat affordable if somebody really wants one, right? Versus somebody who wants to collect the thing, it's like, cool, you can go get this $150 thing. Now, I don't know if that's the only option in the best middle ground, but I'm at least bringing it up to acknowledge the efforts of trying, right? Of We want to make enough that you don't have to pay a lot to get this card. But at the same time, we need to have there be something that people can chase down in packs or for the people. Then, Because there is a whole subset of people who buy magic that just collect it. Believe it or not. Like I've had those people walk in my store, literally buy a couple of boosters every set. A couple times here, they would come trade some cards in to finish off their sets. That's it. Would never see them play a game. They didn't build anything. They just bought cards. Right. That there is that. You may not see them because they're not part of your social circle, but trust me, those people exist. Yeah, and you got to, as a as somebody that makes cards, you got to cater to them as well. They're, you know, going to be one of your most loyal customers. Yeah, and they're buyers. Like I said, two to three boxes a set, guaranteed, every time, right? These, that's, these are just the people that exist. So I get trying to placate all of this. But we've talked about it on the show before. I don't think using the term that's over-monetized is correct. Because we can list... Hell, probably 30 things if we said here for an hour that would be cool to buy that had the Magic or D&D brand on it in some way. So there's still way more stuff they can do. But I do agree that 
we have started overprinting cards a bit, right? Things, because again, I like when you listen to people say stuff, like I think if you asked a player, what they're trying to say is they want their stuff to be cheap when they want to buy it. They want it to have value when they go to sell it. Therein is the rub. Exactly. The problem is, though, those both can't both exist, right? You were able to buy it because it was worth less, which means the next person's going to be able to buy it because it's worth less, right? You can't get both. So I do think there's a world where maybe we need, you know, like these, uh, like the uh, serialized numbered inserts or whatever they did for Brothers War. Those all seem to be carrying a decent value because there's only, what, 500 of each of them or something? So that's pretty cool. Like, I think more of that could be the way to go, that there's still chase cards, stuff people talk about, get excited about. But any individual, one of those you want, a bunch of those aren't even worth that much. Right? You can pick up regular versions of a lot of those for like a dollar or two. But if you want the serialized version, that's a super rare special art, whatever, in foil, those are like $500. So maybe that's a way to go as far as cards are in printing them. But... I mean, I've told people before, if you're looking at investments right now, my money's still on just commander decks and and secret layers. There's other stuff in between, if you know what cards to kind of target or whatever. But if you don't have that level of expertise, that's where the safe money's been. And we now have literally years of data to compare it to. I just give people that, right? Those are still good good buys. But yeah, I don't. I just don't know. I I, I don't think people understand that the bank wants to make certain investments and whatever. They're probably backing Hasbro to a certain percentage or whatever. So their interests do not align with yours and mine. Like, don't think for a second because they say a thing that you like to hear or agree with that it's benefiting you because trust me, it benefits the bank first and exponentially more than it does you or me, or they wouldn't be saying it publicly. (laughs) Right. hundred percent. Right. That's just the way it is. But in this statement, Again, people trying to talk about it on Twitter, like, they should do this and this. And like, eh, they're not saying the same thing that you're trying to say. But yeah, like, Are you saying financial institutions don't have our best interest at heart? That's 100% what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I just find that so hard to believe. But yeah, again, they would rather it be worth more and more collectible and more valuable than less, which is not what a lot of players are advocating for. So just keep that in mind when you're reading this stuff. And don't be wrong, Wizards has already said they're planning to do some stuff different than last year. I feel like even through February, it feels like there's already been a lot less, I don't know what the word is, like pressure from Magic, I guess. Like the preview season felt kind of normal. It didn't feel like, hey, there's another thing right happening right now, you know, whatever, as the set's coming out. Like we do have Magic Philly coming up in a week and there's going to be the the Pro Tour and stuff. So we'll see what comes from that. But I don't know. It was interesting just to see another piece, though, put out from somebody at Bank of America and using the term over monetize. And I went, no, they haven't even come close. Like, I can even tell you from being there internally, there are so many things that we pitched and ideas like there's there's a fountain of stuff if they wanted to go license and whatever and still make piles of money. And we'd all buy some percentage of those things. I guarantee you. Like, hell, I saw people just this week showing off, I guess they at least partnered with some companies that make keycaps for your keyboards. And you could get, there were some Kamigawa ones and uh, Phyrexian ones. And people were buying them. I don't know how much they were, but I saw a handful of people that said like, oh yeah, they were showing off pictures. And some people, oh yeah, I got that set too, or whatever. 
So stuff like that sells. I just today, just now, it was today years old when I learned key caps were a thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like there's so many things they could do to so many corners of different markets that we're not even close. We haven't even, when they talk about scratching the surface, magic, it's amazing. I tell people this all the time. Like when you consider that magic has had no movies, no cartoons, barely any partnership branding, and it's still as big as it is, like that's almost unheard of. Like almost every product to get to that level is working with some other brand, studio, movie thing, whatever, to to climb the ranks. Like to have those happen, especially as old as Magic is, is super rare. And to already reach a billion dollars where they've only done a handful of... Now, admittedly, that's Wizards of the Coast as a whole, not just Magic. But to do that as a company with very little outside interest. I mean, there's like a bad D&D movie, you know. Very bad. Very, <laughs> I, to, to their credit, they actually see what they learned the lessons and are spending money oh, on this one. No lie. Even if this new one didn't have the D&D branding on it, it looks like a fun adventure movie. Yeah. Like, I would probably go watch that just to watch a fun fantasy medieval movie, right? I think it's going to be fun. It just happens to also be a D&D based movie. That just, I think they just think that the brand by itself will sell the movie. And no, that's just maybe in the Star Wars era, but not anymore. If yeah, you're going to yeah. do a summer action movie, you got to have stars in it. That's just the way the game is played. I think you're right. And, and, and they, real effects, spend real time on, yeah. on quality actors, you know, all that. I'm, I'm with you. They tried to build their movie around Justin Whalen. If you don't know who that is, congratulations. Yeah, nobody does. Yeah. He, the, thing, the only thing you might possibly know him from is he played Jimmy Olsen on the Lois and Clark TV show back in the 90s. Yeah, he, he, I'm sure he's a nice guy. <laughs> Has made more money than I probably ever will acting, but still cannot carry a summer event film. It's, For sure. Most, most actors can't. You know, there, there are very few of us that, that get to that level. But yeah, you know, I I think there's just so much room for monetization. And I hope that's not, I hope that's read properly within the words of just like, no, we're not, like they're saying, talking about specifically reprints, collectible value, whatever, of the magic cards themselves, but not the brand. Like the brand has a lot of room to grow. I mean, even now, I'm just looking around my studio and going like, there's a billion things. If you gave me it in Magic skin or D&D skin, that I would at least consider it. I don't know if I'm going to buy everything, but there's a couple things I might buy. Hell, you can, all, for all of us content creators, like, oh, I hit a button there that I need, didn't need to hit. But if you go out here and make Stream Deck stuff, and like maybe I could put stuff, you know, your images behind myself when my stuff goes to sleep or whatever or skins for my deck or whatever like you could do a kind of bunch of different things but we haven't touched on any of it yet i mean that would probably be my thing if i were to go to work for Woods of the coast again that's probably what i would want to do it's like let me find a bunch of brand partners so we could just license out a bunch of stuff and just let people make all kinds of things because the market is huge hell you could do man assemble earrings <laughs> like we don't even have that and that doesn't even seem like that hard of a leap to get to yet we do license out so people can make magic jewelry because there was somebody at magic 30 that makes rings with magic related stuff if i remember right so like that's an option 
So, like, how did we not get to earrings yet? You know what I mean? But, yeah, I don't know. Just, just interesting thing. Just something to put on your radar. You'll probably see people talking about it on social media or whatever. Just keep your eyes <laughs> open on what the companies are asking for and what you as a player are asking for. And understand those are not necessarily the same things. But now that brings us to a different conversation for the dinner table. And this one's a little bit more personal. And I think we're probably going to have completely different takes on this. But how did we each budget our time and or money when we started creating content? Because that's a thing several people have asked, I guess, because they're interested in either starting a podcast or doing some Twitch streaming or whatever. And it's hard for some people, right? Because you've got your nine to five, you've got family, you have other obligations, whether that be with civil organizations you're part of with, with your church or whatever. And that eats up time. So like, where do you fit in even getting a start doing the other stuff? And if you do or don't have a budget, you know, how do you get, get to do it? How much did you spend? Uh, I don't, I don't even know where we want to start on this, but I guess I'll go yeah, first. Is, okay. Um, for me, and I think I've told this before, my situation's completely different, right? Because I'd been on the business side of gaming stuff for, you know, 20 years before I started doing content. And I was also in a situation where, well, I guess technically when I started was like two months before I was released from the last job, right? But at that point, it was just try it. So we just did it in the evenings, right? I was like, okay, well, let me just stream three or four times a week. I'll schedule a couple hours each night I do it. And I wasn't doing much else. So I was like, sure, this won't interfere with anything. It's an easy schedule for me to keep. And I just worked around what I had, right? Can I still go to bed early enough to make it to work? You know, Do I have plans with family or something else or whatever? Normally, okay, I won't schedule anything on those days. And just went through trying to make it happen. You know, and then we did the podcast We're like, well, that's once a week. You know, if we can figure out a time that works for both of us being in different time zones. Sure. Why not? And then when I got released from my job, it was like, well, I got all the time in the world now. Right. <laughs> so it's like, now what can I do with my content now that I have this time? But at that point, budget became a thing because fortunately I had some money saved up. I still had the option for unemployment if I wanted to take it. Right. So if things got bad, I knew there was a, I guess you call it a safety net that I could fall back on. Cause I think I had options to have that for up to a year or something at that time. So, and it was decent, but then I also had the pandemic happen. Right. So that kind of threw a wrench in everything. So what I did is since I knew I was going to be able to get, dedicate extra time to it, I just said, okay, can I make, I believe I told my woman like 70% of our bills off of just my content, right? And I'm going to do that for a year and just see how close I am after a year. If it's within the ballpark, then we'll keep going. If not, then I'll just do something else, you know? And I was fortunate enough to be with somebody who understood that and knew I was going to take a risk and I was going to put a lot of time into it because this is a one year hard push. Can we do this or not? You know, now I don't think that's going to work for everybody, but it's just kind of the circumstances I had available, the knowledge I had, you know, the money I had available, whatever. As far as for getting started, you don't need very much money at all. 
Like there are so many YouTube videos. Hell, one guy I recommend people to, his name's Harris Heller. He does, his channel used to be Alpha Gaming. Now I think it's Senpai Gaming. But he has videos on like getting started for 50 bucks or whatever. Like you can get, you know, $20, $30 webcam, $20 microphone, get some budget lighting and go for it. Now, it won't be great, but it'd be good enough. And then as you get comfortable and realize what you like, what you need, you make your first buck or two off of a stream or something. Okay, now let me use that to go buy a microphone, a better microphone or whatever, right? And you can upgrade. Because I've upgraded my stuff three or four times in three years. But when I started, I didn't know much. You know, for me, it wasn't even so much about the money as much as just the knowledge of like what makes a good stream, what makes a good YouTube video, what are what's the meta for YouTube right now, you know, that anybody cares about, like, how should I use lighting or whatever? Like, that's the stuff that's even more important than the amount of money you're going to spend. Because I tell the story a lot where there was a point where I'm like, okay, I just need to get some quality lighting. Now that I've watched all these videos and my, my face was kind of dark in my video, like, okay, I got to I got to fix this. So after watching literally, I think it was probably like 12 hours of videos on lighting. So I just understood all the concepts on it. I went to Target. I got two, I believe they were $12 lamps, small ones, but you know, $12 lamps. Again, not a big budget. I didn't have money for real light diffusers. So I used just those generic white disc cloths over the lamps. And I set those up in appropriate spots. And the next couple of videos I did, there were tons of people going like, oh, did you get a new camera? Oh, this looks so good and blah, blah. And it's like, literally was just lighting. I didn't at that point spend, I was still using a, I think a $29 webcam at that point, but people saw the difference in lighting and it looked like a whole new camera, right? Just from understanding concepts. So that to me is more, the knowledge of what to do is more important because there's plenty of people go out and buy $500 cameras, you know, $800 microphones, you know, six, $700 in lighting and their content's just crap. Like they don't get views. They don't get eyeballs on it because their structure of their videos is terrible or they don't know how to speak to their audience or they have their mic set up on the wrong settings or volumes or infinite things that you can do wrong if you don't understand your tools that you have. So you're better off starting cheap anyway, figuring it out, and then buying the things that do the thing you need specifically once you know what that is. But I know, Brian, yours is going to be different because you had family at home and stuff and you were working other jobs. Yeah, but it, but wherever I worked, I was always, you know, so the guy that in addition to whatever, in addition to covering city council, I would write video game re- reviews, you know, uh, cover wrestling pay per views. So just wherever I worked, I carved out a space for that pop culture content, and so I just kept. I'm talking. This is really for me. Started back, you know, my middle school paper. I would do a, a, a wrestling review and a video game review and wherever wherever I worked, if there were opportunities to put those in, usually there were, because, you know, there's even, especially there are weeks like, for example, Christmas week where virtually nothing is happening. They're desperately looking for things to fill the empty spaces in the paper or the magazine or, you know, blog, whips, what have you. Like, hey, Brian, did you, did you review? Surely you read something. If not, please go do so, you know. Yeah, that's that's a interesting thing, right? Because for you, it wasn't even about I got to start this thing. It's just kind of at the jobs you were at. You're like, okay, let me just stay active in this space. Yeah, 
And then uh, as the, the, the longer I went, <laughs> newspapers continued to go bankrupt, as they do, you know, yeah. and end up doing more stuff for websites. And then, you know, eventually <laughs> the, the podcast then started doing wherever people were gathering, talking about. You know, we, we've talked about, you know, the IRC chats back in the day, wherever people were gathered talking about TV, movies, video games, I always tried to be there and usually would end up having my own blog or your now YouTube channel, podcast, what have you. I just I said, always kept it because anyway, it, it's been a hobby for my entire life. Every month I usually buy at least one video game. So that was already in my budget. Also, you know, I, was, I get, you know, Christmas birthday that every, every time, you know, I get a gift of some kind for my wife, it usually ends up being some comic books, you know, or a, uh, new, add a new streaming service to binge watch something or buy a video game. Sometimes my wife and I ask me like, do you want this thing or do you just want to make another video? And it gets hard to separate the two. So I'll be money. I think I'm better at time. I feel like I'm still bad at, but the great thing about that is, you know, kids are kids. School gets out at three 30. And so whatever you're doing, I'm stopping at three 30 and going to there and going to pick up the kids you know, or doctor's appointment happens. Those things just, they happen when they happen. You can't. We just had. If you watch Alan's Ever After, we almost it seems like almost everybody in the house went to the doctor or the hospital for something between Christmas and New Year. So yeah, when that happens, that's what you're doing as a parent. You're taking like you're taking your wife to the hospital, your son to the hospital. I've had an MRI too because as we long COVID is a thing, and I we all have some weird. I still have. The tinnitus in my left ear. <laughs> uh, Tish has. We're still not sure exactly what it is. They're still running tests. Braden, same thing. Had just some weird things. We're still running tests, and just those. You know, when they happen, you gotta go take care of them. And yeah, when there's when when we're sitting at the hospital, I'm you know in my head when when there's a few spare minutes, like ah, oh, did I finish this? When, when am I gonna? When I just, I think anytime you got a spare, you can't turn your brain off. Anytime I got like when I had MRIs, forty five minutes, just forty five minutes where you're laying there doing nothing. So in my head, I'm like, hey, yeah, uh, what am I doing when I get home? What am I watching? What am I playing? What do I need to say about it? Yeah, that's always tough. You know, I, I think you do touch on a couple of things there. One is just, I think, being present and being aware. Right? You can't once you decide you're going to make content on a thing, you have to stay engaged with it. You know, and that's how your your opportunities arise, right? You being visible in those spaces, right? That's how there's a lot of people say, I don't know how I don't get invited to this or why this creator won't put me on this thing or how I don't get to work on these parts. Like, because you literally make your content, you post that, hey, I have a new piece of content and you don't interact with anybody, right? Like you have to be visible and be out there. Yeah, oh, the I had known each other for what? Probably 10, 15 years. Yeah, before. probably close to 15 years. that's hey you know he he thought of it brian does comedy and content he's good with words (laughs) but i think there's so much to be said about that though that people just hell i got my eyeglasses deal because i did a review video for somebody yeah i mean like seriously like there's no way i started out thinking that was a thing it's just like this is something people might watch i know it's a piece of content i can test out stuff stuff i've learned and let me make a video and lo and behold, it came across their radar. And a couple of years later, we're having conversations. And now I get paid to be an eyewear model, right? Like, 
that's the dumbest thing I've ever said out loud, but it's true, right? And and same thing, right? You have to be visible in those spaces. And, and I'll just another example, you know, when one of the uh, one of my favorite sites to work for, but they again, you know, industry they closed down uh, the technology tell network. I, I think I worked for them for once, say seven or eight years. And even after they even after they went away, people that were used to sending me press releases just kept sending me press releases. In some cases, still kept sending me review codes. And if I, you know, I, I knew I would be somewhere writing about video games again at some point. So I, if anybody asked, hey, how's it going over there? I would tell them, you know, like, hey, if you want to quit sending me stuff, I understand. And many of them would ask, like, well, you know, if you're still writing somewhere, or if you think you're yep. going to be writing somewhere soon, we'll still, you know, let us know because we enjoy your articles. And but the thing is, when you go to your next place you want to work with, you're like, hey, I already have connections with all these people. Exactly. And they already send me review codes and stuff, yeah. right? So that's a benefit for them. But yeah, I so think it, maybe that's where the time has to be spent is really just being active in those spaces. It's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I I think if anything, you know, doing consultations for people, one of the things I will say is don't be upset to learn if it's not for you. Right. That's probably the biggest thing. Don't keep spending money if you feel like you don't get it or you feel like it's too difficult or you feel like you're not enjoying it. Yeah, I was about to say, don't play something just because it's trending if you don't enjoy it. Yeah, it just may not be for you, and that is okay. Like, not everything is for everybody. Not every job is something everyone's going to enjoy. Because, like you alluded to, one of the things that helps you is having things in your life where your kids keep you on a schedule. Yeah. Right? Like, some people have a hard time regulating. Like, this morning, I had to set my alarm. I had to get up. I had a meeting online with some people about a thing I can't talk about yet. But... Like, I still have to do those things among making my content, right? I have to schedule. If I want to go to Magic Philly next week, I have to schedule out videos and work on stuff this week. So that's taken care of next week. You know, right? There's nobody cracking a whip behind me saying like, hey, go do this. Like, this is just, if I don't get it done, I don't get paid. (laughs) And my wife will let me know, hey, I haven't seen you in, you know, (laughs) a day or two. (laughs) That happens over here, too. I'll admit, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so I'm working on that part. It, yeah, and, it and, be a balance. And, and that happened when I was at newspapers, too. There would be, you know, especially like football season. Yeah, every just, just think about what it's like, you know, if you're married and every Friday night during the fall for about 10 years, I was at a DeSoto football game. If she wanted to go somewhere on Friday night it, for 10 years, it was a no-go because I had to go cover the, the Soto High School football because, as you might have heard, we're in Texas. Football's kind of a big deal. Oh, dude, she's like, you didn't cover NFL because now they're on Thursdays, Saturdays, right? Sundays, oh, yeah, Mondays. During COVID, we got games every day of the damn mm-hmm. week, right? Like, yeah. I don't know how anybody lived like that for a full season. That's tough. And, and pre-pandemic, when murder mysteries and, and comedy shows were really clicking, there was about a five-year span where we didn't we didn't spend New Year's together because I was doing stand-up or uh, doing a murder mystery show because that's the thing that, you know, people want to go see shows on New Year's. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, there was a even running my own business, there was a lot of holidays you had to decide, are we going to be yeah. open or not? Hell, we, we did... Easter egg hunts a couple of years on Easter Sunday right? at our store. So 
it just, you know, it, it, it's a time thing, right? You have to figure out what everything's worth. Is the, the money you're going to make worth it? Do you have people in your life that are okay with you giving up that time? Right. There's just a lot of those decisions that have to be made. And every person's case is going to be different. And also in terms of, especially for buying video games, Xbox Game Pass is a godsend. You pay $9 a month, I believe, and it's basically like Netflix for video games. There's a library of probably 200 or more games you can you can download, try, play. I promise more than like you'll like one or two of them. And then, you know, if you want to do content for that, you can let people know that you like it. And PlayStation, PlayStation has a similar program. I off the top of my head don't know what the price is, but I believe it basically averages out to about the same thing, 10 or $11 a month to get access to. And what they also do, and the Xbox does this too. They'll give you, like, if you're part of Games with Gold or PlayStation Plus, there's an addition to the library of free games you can access every month. Here's, you know, like I, I think February's drop for PlayStation just came out. Here's some, here's some free games. And spoiler alert, if a bunch, if a game is free, <laughs> a bunch more people will play it, and there's an opportunity to make content for that game. That makes sense. I guess if I'll leave people with a thing here, it's just when you're thinking about where to spend your money when you start. If you are going to spend it, spend it on audio before anything else. That's Definitely. the biggest thing. The other thing is, if you're going to pay for any services or whatever that help you, just do the time to dollar ratio. Like pretty much everything I pay for on a monthly basis simplifies me making content and saves me some significant amount of time over the course of a month. Like even I even paid, I just went for YouTube premium because I realized when I'm watching videos and researching stuff, if I hit two ads in a video, that's like a minute I wasted or whatever, right? And if I do that multiple hours a week, well, then at the end of the month, can I get $10 of time back close to it? And then I get all the other benefits that come with it. So yeah, I'll just pay them their 10 or $11 a month or whatever it is. And she then said I, the same thing because she did that. Yeah, that's literally it. For Same thing for Canva. Like I have everything in one spot for removing backgrounds from stuff. I can save all my things to quick pop up new thumbnails or whatever. And like, it's great just having access to it. Like, I don't know. It costs me like $10 a month or whatever. But I know I'm getting like if I say an hour of my time is worth at least $20, I'm easily getting that back for paying yeah. them their $10. Right. That's that's kind of how I measure things. And once I started doing that across the board, man, to be able to put out as much content as I have, couldn't do it without those. So it's like money well spent for sure. All right, Brian, want everybody where they can find all your good stuff out on the social medias. Right. I am Brian Sonic on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Our family channel, newly monetized on YouTube, is Alan's Ever After. And all these uh, reviews and, and writing I'm talking about, you can read that over at tiltmagazine.com. Oh, and our video game portion of that is goombastomp.com. But if you go to either of those sites, you'll see the other one up at the top for you to click on. And I write for both the TV and movie and video game sides. What's funny is I'd be surprised if a bunch of people don't even know why it's called Goomba Stomp. <laughs> we are old. <laughs> you know, we are old. Yeah, you can find me just about everywhere, as always, at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N, and you'll probably see me out and about a lot of places. I'm going to be trying to get some stuff going over the next few months and have some fun stuff I'll hopefully be able to talk about here in the next 30 days or so. 
But as always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please remember to take care of yourselves and your family, and remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us at our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate other patreon.com slash color of magic you can also find us on facebook under color of magic and if you want to follow us along at twitter you can find us there at color of mtg and as always please share the podcast around to your friends your network people you think might enjoy it because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base 